The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Pre-Med Year, session number 404. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. Today I have a special episode. I'm actually going to play Ask the Dean, which we recorded as I'm recording this just an hour ago. Now, Ask the Dean is a Facebook Live series that we do inside of our mapped group for students who use mapped. We do it live for them in there, but then we play the the recording on YouTube and actually release the audio as a podcast as well. So if you aren't subscribed to Ask the Dean yet, it's a great series. It's a ton of Q&A, but it's not just me, right? I'm sure if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, my voice is one that's familiar to you, but I love getting another perspective. And now, Fortunately or unfortunately, Dr. Scott Wright, who is my co-host, uh, as well as Rachel Grubbs, uh, uh, Dr. Scott Wright, the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School, the former executive director at TMD SAS, he agrees with me a lot of the time, and sometimes we we get into a little bit of a back and forth, but uh, it's nice, I think, to hear some confirmation that what you're listening to here is backed up by someone who actually ran the whole application service for Texas medical schools and dental schools and and veterinary (laughs) schools as well. Uh, And also someone who was in that position as a director of admissions at a medical school previously. So in this episode, we're going to play the Ask the Dean from today that we just finished recording. We had a lot of great questions about virtual shadowing. Uh, We had a discussion about uh, expiration of of prereqs, about low car scores, tons of great discussion, uh, including the discussion that mapped will be live on August 24th as a public beta available to everyone to go sign up. There's a 14-day free trial to go check it out. Now, you're going to be hearing a lot of that here on the podcast because I'm going to go update all my old episodes with a small little intro. So uh, I'm sorry for bugging you through those. Uh, But go check out um, MAPPED at MAPPD.com. Again, today we did a focus group with, I think, five pre-med advisors and a director of admissions at a medical school and got amazing feedback there on board, I think, with with MAPT helping them, helping their students. And so we're excited for everything that MAPT has in store, and I hope you are as well. 
Again, mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Let's go and jump into Ask the Dean. And if you want to be uh, a part of our weekly Ask the Deans, go sign up for Mapped and you can go ask your questions live. Actually, a good reminder, on the 24th, we're actually going to have three different live sessions throughout the day. We're going to do a brand new series called Am I Ready? And that's going to be a series where we're going to have a student share their mapped information with us so that Dr. Wright and myself can look at the data that they have put in, look at their stats, look at their activities, uh, and, and look at their courses and everything and see where they're at. Are they on track for applying next year? That will be at 1.30 Eastern time. That'll be live um, uh, everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, etc., on the mapped channels. And then ask the dean is uh, is what we normally do inside of our mapped group. We're going to do that live on all of the mapped public channels as well. That's going to be at 6 Eastern. And then we're going to do an Instagram live, Dr. Wright and myself doing a lot of Q&A there. That will be at 8 Eastern. We have a lot of giveaways going on that day. Hopefully, you'll be able to check us out all over social media. Again, August 24th. Go check us out, mapped.com. We are live here in the Mapped group for another amazing episode of Ask the Dean, episode 13, with the most acclaimed Dr. Scott Wright. How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. How's everything in uh, Colorado? Everything is smoky, actually. <laughs> There's lots of wildfires oh, going no. on. It's very hazy and smoky, but that's okay because I'm inside anyway all day because of COVID. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but uh, that is life. And the wonderful Rachel Grubbs, how are you? I'm well, and I'm glad you used a claim to describe Scott. I yes. know we talked about adjectives for him last week, and I gave you all adjectives beginning with the letter A. Yes. Because I got uh. bored after that. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where I came from. But over the next year, I can slowly work through the other 25 letters. There we go. Um, this is a, a little bit of a different acidine for just one small reason is I'm actually going to release this out on the pre-med years. So if you're listening to this in the pre-med years podcast, hello and welcome to Acidine. Actually, you get to listen to Acidine. Well, you get to listen to Acidine all the time because it's live. Um, not live, but it's it's available uh, at mapped.tv is actually our YouTube channel that has Ask the Dean on there where we release every episode uh, once a week. So go over there to mapped.tv. Uh, but we're releasing this pre-mid years episode here on August 19th because on August 24th, we have a big day. What is that day, Rachel? Uh, mapped goes to public beta. So we will still be in beta. We're still working on bugs and make it better and better. (laughs) But instead of pre-ordering and going, win, oh, win, oh, win, we'll have access. You will order and you will have access. Yep. You will order and have immediate access to mapped. Um, Starting August 24th, the the time we haven't announced yet, not not to pull a double AMC here for MCAT registration, but um, we actually have to click the button. But it'll be about... I, I don't know what time. It doesn't Let's, matter. Just go check yeah. map.com. It'll um, be it'll be no later than than noon Eastern. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the plan. And and speaking of bugs, we found a big one today with our GPA calculations. We we uh, missed a few things here and there, but that's okay. We're we're gonna get that fixed. We decided to launch Mapped as a public beta because number one, there are still bugs. Which it's software. There's always gonna be bugs, probably. Uh, but there's still a lot of just um, glaring bugs. I think that we were hoping to be fixed by now, but that's okay. That it doesn't affect how you can use Mapped. But I think. I think the other big thing too is that we have so many features that we wanted in version one and and we want mapped in your hands and wanted to get it to you sooner so we're releasing it to everyone august 24th so if you're watching this as a map to pre-order user and you're in there playing with it and you like it go tell your friends starting august 24th they can go sign up as well um, and come join the fun we had an amazing meeting today a little focus group with some pre med pre-health advisors and a director of admissions at a medical school uh, and they all seemed to love it so i'm excited for the future of what we have going on here at map so that's what i got map.com august 24th let's get to ask the dean <laughs> all right first up question would taking temperatures and blood pressures at a dentist office count for patient contact hours for medical school? Ooh. It depends on if it's a rectal mm. or a forehead temperature, right? It's usually the differentiation. Do what? <laughs> that was such such a deep, deep joke that went right over your head. <laughs> I mean, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, said, I said, it depends on if it's a rectal or a forehead temperature. <laughs> well, since it's a dentist's office, I would hope it's not a rectal temperature taking. So we'll just see. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is a good question. And I think, I mean, the first thing I would ask is, was the student um, ever thinking about going into dentistry and they switched over mm -hmm. to medicine? If that was like part of why they're working in a dental office to start with, or, you know, where was the genesis of this sort of dental office job and, <clears throat> you know, their ability to explain it would be important, I think, within the context of of a description of the uh, experience in a medical school application. Now, having said that, it is patient contact. Uh, these are patients in a, in a, uh, in a healthcare setting. And uh, you are, you know, uh, uh, being active with them, albeit, you know, for a short period of time when they first come into the dental, dental office. It's not notably different than what a medical uh, assistant would do when you take in into a into a medical clinic, maybe not mm -hmm. quite as much uh, um, a medical history, probably that they would be taking or whatever. But so very similar to that. So I, I think it's uh, plausible that a uh, um, that it would count for for uh, clinical hours and for a med school application. Yeah, we get this question a lot, whether it's around being a physical therapy assistant or yeah. something similar pharmacy to a physical therapy assistant or, yeah. in a chiropractic office, uh, definitely pharmacy tech. Uh, and really, I think at the at the heart of all of the those types of it's 
it's patient care technically, but not necessarily in a, a hospital with MDDO medicine um, or an outpatient setting MDDO medicine. It's patient care. You're interacting with patients in, in some sort of clinical way. I think that the biggest takeaway that we always have with this is make sure that it's probably not the majority, your main right. clinical experience for, for the application. Right. Agreed. So... Good totally one. agree with that. Yep. That's a good question. Yeah. I like that one. All right. Next up on the chopping block, we have, I recently got, or just got an unpaid internship follow uh, volunteering for a local nonprofit with a physician. I have to decide whether I would like college credit as a post-bac student. I don't need credits to graduate. Do medical schools consider this as volunteer hours if I also receive college credit? Or will I need to do the zero credit option to receive volunteer hours? Thank you all so much. This is interesting. So this is very similar, Scott, to the question we had a couple weeks ago where a student talked about what, what I think it was through their athletics or through like the fraternity or sorority. Right. Does right. it, is it like, is the, are those volunteer hours discounted because they're through an organization and not something a student lined up themselves. It's kind of similar. Yeah, very similar. And I, you know, my first reaction is unless you pointed it out, I think many on an admissions committee would not even notice that they're connected. They're, they're not looking Uh, at the extracurricular list and then looking at the courses going, do these line up? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you, you know, it, it, particularly on a on a first review of an application, uh, they're usually fairly quick and fairly, uh, you know, they're not doing the deep dive into into an application. They're sort of looking for certain certain uh, data points that they want to want to concentrate on for deciding whether or not they're going to take them. But even once it gets to the admissions committee level after an interview, I you know, it, it would take a pretty savvy uh, admissions committee member to even connect those two dots if you didn't connect them yourself. So I would say if you don't need the credit hours, then why do it um, for credit? Yeah. Why even do it for credit? And uh, so, but I I don't know that I would worry about that either way. Well, let me, let me ask you, you let me ask you a follow up. If a student doesn't, call it out themselves, right? Is that, is that knowing how pre-meds think, is that some sort of like dishonesty? Are they trying to hide something? No, no, no. Yeah. I think they, I think that's overthinking it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, honestly what the, what the admissions committee members are looking for is what did you get out of this? What, what's the value of this experience? What did you get out of it? Whether you got credit for it or not, deep dive into why was this important to you? What did you learn out of this experience? What's the value, meaning, meaning creation things or what we're looking for when we're looking at these uh, activity experiences and stuff, whether or not you got credit for it or whether you, you know, whatever, uh, whether it was with a sports team or your frat fraternity or sorority or whatever. Uh, you know, I think that the, the key to the key to all of it is the meaning part is yeah. the value of it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, sort of do a bunch of mental gymnastics to try to figure out how to, (laughs) but that's what pre-meds are best at Scott. We like to do mental gymnastics. 
I know it. I took human anatomy, clinical physiology, microbiology, psychology, and sociology for my nursing degree a long time ago. Will they still be considered good for medical school admission? All right. So this is a great question. And actually something yeah, very similar to like what, what mapped our, our ultimate goal with mapped is, is to be able to put those courses in and know that, that what, what I'm assuming, you know, the answer is, is, uh, um, not they don't count right so a lot of times these nursing level classes right. don't count right okay so the the oh so and they were even an update foreign there. institution so i think i think the the foreign institution is the bigger issue here mm. uh, I, I know that many medical schools perhaps most medical schools are going to require that those prerequisites be taken in the u.s yep. at a u.s accredited u.s institution so that's the bigger issue here. Now, let's let's draw that aside and say, okay, let's create an applicant who did this very thing talking about, did them at a a U.S. institution a long, you know, fairly long ago, and and, and talk about that scenario. And in that case, there are medical schools who want, particularly the prerequisites, to be recent. They don't want them to be, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago or whatever. Uh, so they, they, there are medical schools where that, those would expire and not be applicable to, uh, to meeting the prerequisites. Secondarily, if, the, if those courses were taken as a part of your nursing curriculum, it's, it's likely that the medical schools are not going to count those because they're not for science majors. They were for a professional program in nursing or some allied health program of some sort. So... If so, for example, if your anatomy class prefix is B I O L in its anatomy, then that's one thing. If it's N U R S and in the nursing curriculum is anatomy, for example, all of the all of the programs in Texas at, at uh, Texas Application Service, we would not allow those to move forward as meeting the prerequisite because they were taken as a part of a of a, a allied health program and uh, would not be applicable. So, so I think there's several elements here that need to be sort of considered in that process. The foreign institution element, the element of when they were taken, and then the element of uh, within what academic context they were taken. Yeah, and then the, the other kind of uh, extra bit of this that, that comes up a lot, and it wasn't specifically asked with this question, but it was kind of potentially hinted at with I took these courses a long time ago is this myth for the most part that prereqs expire right well I, I think yeah I mean I think the issue here is not as much the issue of expiration in in a bureaucratic way but it is the idea that you're if, if you are that far away from that material then what what is this going to mean about your ability to perform in the classroom, particularly in the first six, nine weeks of medical school? Yeah. Uh, first six weeks of medical school, first nine weeks of medical school, crucial, crucial yep. to setting a good tone for establishing uh, study habits, everything. And if you're playing catch up, 
from day one. <laughs> you, you're done. Spelled disaster. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, just go watch the video. Scott, have you ever watched the video uh, about eating pancakes in medical school? No, no, it's, it's an amazing video. Rachel, have you ever watched that video? No. Okay. So everyone, here's your homework. Google, uh, eating pancakes in medical school, just in, on YouTube. It's a YouTube video. Basically the gist okay. is that every day you have to eat 10 pancakes. That is your goal in medical school. But some days you're not very hungry and you don't want to eat 10 pancakes. So you only eat five. But guess that's what that means for tomorrow. Now you got to eat 15 pancakes. <laughs> but you can only eat 10. And so you only eat 10 and then it's 15 the next day. And then so you're always behind at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's a really good video. Yeah. Um, just yeah, really highlighting, right? We always talk about the uh, drinking from a fire uh, hose, but eating yeah. pancakes is, is definitely a great analogy. At least how they tell the story. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's right. So I, I, I talked with a student who got an interview to medical school and I don't know the follow up whether she got in or not, but she was a physical therapist and hadn't taken classes in 20 years. And she didn't go back oh, and yeah. do more classes, but she took her MCAT, did great on it. And she got interviews at medical schools. And and obviously, she's she had already gone through professional school as a physical therapist. And so there's some built-in trust to her ability to handle uh, to handle medical school. Uh, and obviously, doing well in the MCAT helped as well. So it, the, uh, yeah, the, just a, an extra little bonus mention that this whole myth of prereqs expiring is is just that for the most part. Yeah. Not to say there aren't a few schools out there that do have expiration dates. All right. So kind of following up on the patient care question earlier, uh, the same verdict working as a CNA in a skilled nursing facility slash rehab, not in a hospital setting. So this actually for me, this question isn't anywhere near the same as the other one, right? The, the earlier one was I guess they're kind of similar, right? Taking blood blood pressure and and uh, temperature. Um, a CNA obviously uh, who does a lot with patients, but in a in a skilled nurse nursing facility rehab, like a skiff, yeah, um, yeah. or a sniff. Uh, I mean that's that's clinical experience. <laughs> that's that's the definition. Yep. Uh, I, I think. Oh yeah. I think students get very caught up um, with hospital equals clinical experience. And and that's not always the right. case, right? Again, clinical experience right. is interacting with patients. Now, there's, in, in my mind, and I think in yours, there's a difference between uh, a, a skilled nursing facility and a dentist office. I think that was the differentiation, yeah. right? Dentist office, yes. PT office, yeah. chiropractic office. Uh, yes. A skilled nur- nursing facility is a a clinical setting similar to to a hospital yeah. setting, outpatient setting. So yeah, definitely the same the same for me. And, and, and let me add to that is that the the concentration here is not mechanically what are you doing with the patients. You know, it, taking temperature, taking blood pressure, changing their sheets, emptying their their bedpan, what, whatever it is you're doing, these are the mechanical elements of it. What I think m- many admissions committees are more interested in is personal qualities that you gain from patient interaction. 
Uh, are you experiencing these patient interactions? And are, are there things coming from that, such as your ability to think about and reflect on what all that meant to you? But also, for example, are you getting a, a letter of recommendation from, from the person at the nursing facility that says, man, this, this person is fantastic with patients. They, they love them. They, they, uh, they respond to them when they come into the room and they're doing their thing and they're just so uh, interact, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that's the important stuff. The fact that you took their temperature as opposed to emptying their bedpan, uh, yes, that's clinical activities and stuff, but somebody that has absolutely no personality and the patients hate can still do those same things. Might not be as good a doctor, might not be as good a medical student, but they can still take a temperature and empty a bedpan. What I'm more interested in as an admissions officer is, what did they get out of this and what did they, uh, what was their relationship with these patients like? And are we getting input from letter writers and stuff that, that say, I, I got stuff out of this that made me a better person. And I hope that I made the patients feel better or made their day better or whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference between what we and, and I have been harping on for so long and what we harp on here on, on Ask the Dean is that it goes so much beyond what you did, right? It's not yeah. just checking that's the box. Right. It's, it's the reflection and, and what it did for you and, and how you grew from it and everything else. And it's so important. And I, I know there's a, a contingency of you out there listening to me going, that's BS. I know it's just stats and that's okay. Uh, I'll hopefully win you over in the long run. Uh, but, but I am telling you, it is much more than stats and, and that those reflection stats and, and what you did. Right. So don't just go and do yeah. the thing to check off the box. Yeah. So. Yeah. Preaching to the choir there. Preaching <laughs> to the choir. I know. I know. I was just thinking if Dr. Gray can convince them, surely someone who has sat on an admissions committee and managed all of Texas admissions could maybe convince them. Yeah. It, um. it used to be, uh, here's, here's a little vulnerable moment for me. It used to be, I had this imposter syndrome when I started the podcast. Like, who am I? I never sat on an admissions committee. I, I was never the dean or director of admissions anywhere. Um, but but I'm lucky enough to have amazing relationships with people like Dr. Wright and, and other admission committee members and, and people who do have all of the expertise. And they just... Um, they, they're, they're able to take the money that I bribe them with to, to uh, agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you started out so serious. <laughs> and then I didn't. <laughs> I wanted to chime in for this one because yep. I'm saying as I put it up, this is, I think, episode 14 of Ask the Dean, and I'm not sure, but I think it might be the 11th time we've been asked it. Yep. I'm going to put it out there anyway because yep. people keep asking, so people are still worried about it. Yep. It's actually something I wanted to talk to you, Rachel, about, about maybe setting, trying to set up a, maybe as an offshoot of specialty story, some sort of virtual shadowing for students where we do some sort of Zoom call with a physician and, uh, and get students on board. Yeah. So here's the question. What are your thoughts on virtual shadowing during the pandemic? How will adcoms view virtual shadowing? And again, we get this every week, but that means that a lot of you are wondering. So let's dig in. 
Let's dig in. All right, virtual shadowing. Any other year would be like, why are you doing that? <laughs> get out of your house yep. and go put in yeah. some effort and get into a doctor's office, right? Call, call in those connections yep. if you have them. Uh, reach out to friends, family, uh, cold call, email, all of that stuff. Uh, and I know it's, it's still very hard for a lot of students to find shadowing. But obviously this year... Uh, with the pandemic, if you're watching this or listening to uh, watching this or listening to this in the future, like, what are you talking about this year? Uh, in the middle of a pandemic, the shadowing is almost non-existent. So virtual yeah. shadowing is the next best thing. And it, it's better than nothing. Yeah. And, and, and I will point out that, you know, the question says, how will admissions committees view virtual shadowing? Think about it this way. They're having to deal with virtual uh, or online courses. Mm -hmm. They are having to virtually interview students. Yep. So why would they look any differently at virtual shadowing? Everything is virtual right now. <laughs> Everything is virtual right now. Yep. Let's repeat that once again. Everything is virtual right now. So admissions committees are going to recognize this and they – they don't have a choice. Yep. They're going to have to see that, the, as you said, this is a different kind of year and it is what it is. And so yeah. at least virtual shadowing is something. And so do it. It's something. And, and I think a lot of students will, will probably do it. Hopefully they'll do it. And then they won't put it on their application for fear that it'll look silly. And why is this just virtual shadowing? But I encourage all of you to put it on there and, and let the admissions committee members yeah. do what they will do with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree Whole, wholeheartedly. Good. That's why I like having you around. You make me feel better. <laughs> uh, here, here's a good one. So I am scoring low in the cars section of the MCAT, but doing well in the other sections. I believe it's due to the fact that I started learning English when I was a teenager, which is why my reading speed is pretty low and my vocabulary is not as rich as a native speaker. Is this something medical schools will acknowledge or is this simply not a good enough reason for a low car score, which the student says is around 124? So let me remind mm -hmm. everyone that on National Pre-Med Day, we did an episode that we actually released on my YouTube channel, premed.tv, separately called Mission Accepted with a student who had a 121 in cars and was admitted to an MD school and DO schools as well. Um, and, uh, and she was an ESL student as well. So in my mind... A 124, it, 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 again, this kind of goes back to these pre-med myths of if you score less than a 125, you can't get into medical school in, in, right. a, in a section. So again, the, right. the, the micro versus macro of what's your total score and that 124 right. probably is not going to be an issue. Yeah, agreed. I agree with that completely. And with, the, with regard to, you know, somebody coming to the U.S., learning a new language in, in, as a teenager, maybe in middle school or high school, you know, this is not an unusual circumstance uh, for an admissions committee to see these kinds of things. Uh, I think that particularly when students do well at their university and ha have a you know, strong grade point average, uh, seem to be doing well generally on the MCAT, um, then I, I think that what this points out is, is 
a, a huge degree of, of uh, work ethic that the student has put in, uh, in making the transition into a new culture, into a new language. Yep. Uh, it, it shows resilience. It shows perseverance. It shows there's a lot of personal things that come from that that I think admissions committees are drawn to because these are the qualities that are important in medical school. When the, when the going gets rough and you haven't had sleep near the, as much as you need, and it's, it's, those, it's those personal qualities of, of perseverance and, and work ethic and motivation and just show up and get it done, yep. those kinds of things that admissions committees really center in on. Uh, the fact that your car score is maybe a point or two or three lower than the other scores than the other scores, I I really don't see a, a concern here. Yeah, and and let me expand a little bit. I'm I'm not an MCAT expert, but I have a podcast, so it's it's basically the next best thing. I actually have two MCAT <laughs> podcasts, and and I do the MCAT Cars podcast with Jack Weston, and we talk about this a lot. And in in my experience, well, number one, he, he doesn't believe reading speed is a huge issue. He, he thinks that's an excuse that students use. Um, and, and I probably agree because I have historically been a very slow reader as well. Um, but something for me, when an ESL student says, I do well in the other sections, to me, that's a clue that this student can do perfectly fine in the car section because their reading comprehension is good enough to do well in the other sections. It's probably good enough for the car section, but we have this mental barrier to go, Oh, this is the car section. This is the section where I, as an ESL student shouldn't do as well. And I need to read faster and, and I don't have the vocabulary. And so they fill their brain with this negative self-talk as they're going, right? They're trying to read the passage and they're going, I'm too slow, I'm too slow, I'm too slow. I don't know what that word is. I don't know what that means. I'm too slow, I'm too slow, I'm too slow. And our brain, I'm married to a neurologist. Her dad is a neuropsychologist. And so we, we talk about brain stuff a lot. The brain can only hold a certain amount of information at any given point in time. It's called your working memory. It's kind of like RAM in a computer. And if you're filling your working memory with this negative self-talk of I'm going too slow, I, it sucks that ESL is, is a detriment to this, I don't know what that word is, my vocabulary is not good enough, you're going to do bad in cars because of all of that negative self-talk. And so a lot of it is just from a, a mentality standpoint, knowing that you do well in those other sections, you're good enough to do well in the car section, you just need to allow yourself to. Yeah, yeah. A positive self-talk, completely agree with that. It is envisioning. There's another element of, of this, and that is envisioning. You know, I, I encourage applicants when they go to the MCAT, when they get to that testing center, they need to be in their car walking into that testing mm -hmm. center envisioning what is going to happen. Yep. The day before, when you check out where the testing site is, envision yourself sitting in that chair, taking that MCAT, doing well. You know, you're putting it out there to the universe to say, this is my vision of what's going to be happening. Yep. And the uh, best athletes do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Definitely. 
it's a, it's a little woo woo, but that, that's what I like. I think, <laughs> I think it works. Um, uh, a question here uh, from a student. Should I update schools regarding my grades and classes taken in summer and fall after having submitted my primary? Uh, well, I know TMDSAS wise, you're asked to update TMDSAS. And then we will in, in turn update the, the medical schools with uh, an updated GPA and uh, everything. So you'll just communicate that if you're applying in Texas, you'll communicate that through the application service in Texas. And we'll communicate it to the schools. So that so so normally students are familiar with AMCAS and ACOMAS, where you, you can't change grades after you submit. So TMDSAS, you can add courses. Yep. yep. Very cool. Okay. And they're and you're 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 real you're actually required, required. to do that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because they want the latest, you know, everything. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so let's look at it from the admissions committee's uh, side of it. So, as as you are the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, yeah. if a student was borderline and those grades could have helped, is that something you take into account, or it's just like so much extra data? You're like, I don't have time to go through it. No, 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 yeah. And it's like I said previously a uh, couple of questions ago. I think it's different on an initial review uh, than it might be on the deep dive in, in the admissions committee yep. uh, where they're really looking at very detailed information. And maybe that, you know, maybe those summer grades or those fall grades could make the difference in terms of how they're going to view uh, the, the student, for example, if a student in the spring semester struggled in a class, you know, let's say they made a C in, in biochemistry one, and then they got, then they were taking biochemistry two in the fall, you know, the admissions committee may very well say, well, I sure would like to know that fall grade because mm. that, that would make me much more comfortable if they had made, you know, a, a, a much better grade in that, in that biochem two class. Yeah. So I, I do think it can make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times the the impetus behind this question and a lot of the actions behind updating schools is that it's this Hail Mary of like, my grades are terrible. They're not good. They're not good. They're not good. Oh, but I got a I got a 3.7 this last semester. So hopefully this will help me. And again, that's that's kind of this micro macro thing that we talk about. Big picture. What does your whole academic record show is one semester is not going to bail you out. Right. That's right. That's right. It's it's more the long haul uh, over the over the period of time and and looking at those trends, uh, you know trends in the, which is you know absolutely something that the map software is is doing and will help you envision it. That's why it's really nice that it's a visual for you mm-hmm. to see what those trends look like uh, because that's uh, often what admissions committee members are really going to be looking at is what what is the trend here and am I comfortable with this trend. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how the student is doing, particularly if you're on the bubble, but not not exclusively. But, you know, if you're on the bubble and, and you know, it's, it could go either way and the trend is is maybe not as good or, or, or if the trend is upward, it could mean it could mean a lot in terms of you're uh, you're getting a nod. Yeah. Getting called up to the big leagues. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I, I want to go back to this virtual world that we're living in now. What are your thoughts uh, about your assumptions about maybe you've heard through the grapevines uh, and maybe we we have to get through a cycle to see that the potential for interviews to either stay virtual 
uh, or the potential for students who don't have the funds to travel for them to be allowed to do virtual without any sort of uh, negative points against them? Yeah, I think, you know, boy, it's, that's a toss-up question, really. I think, uh, as with so many other things, I think this year and going into through this cycle is going to teach a lot of medical schools a lot of different things about the process, how it went. Uh, you know, I think that what's, what's, what my guess is that some medical schools are going to say, hey, this virtual interviewing went really well. Uh, it uh, it gave us all the in- input we wanted and needed. Let's stick with this. Yep. We like it. It's not as expensive for us. It's not as expensive for the students, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my guess is that there's going to be some medical schools that will go with it. There will be others that will say, no, we're going to go back to we want. Because you have to get in mind, keep in mind that there are there are different uh, agenda uh, for the for the interview. It's not just about the medical school um, getting to know you and deciding if you're a good fit for the medical school. It's, it is also the other side of the street, which is you getting to know that medical school and evaluating whether, whether you want to be at that institution or not for your medical school uh, years and doing it virtually doesn't do that at all. It doesn't hit that part of the agenda for medical school at all, particularly if they know that you're going to be an applicant who's going to get multiple offers. They want you on their campus. They want to show you what they've got. They want you to feel it. They want you to see it. They want you to talk to students. They want, they want that evaluation of you, of their institution. Yep. And the virtual, uh, the virtual reality of that's not going to work. And so I, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of things coming out of this. There's going to be schools that are going to say, no, we want the students on our campus. Uh, there will be other student, other schools that will say, you know, we'll go with the virtual. Uh, there may be some, some hybrid in, in some ways of, of that. So I, I think it's anybody's guess what's going to be happening literally this time next year, assuming that COVID is not an issue this time next year. God forbid that it still is. But um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know. And, you know, I was, I was just thinking about, I was, I, I was going to say this uh, back to the other, the, the other comments I was making about everything being virtual. Uh, I know that there are many, perhaps most uh, admissions committee member admissions committee meetings are, are happening virtually. Yep. So they're getting, you know, they're in the, in the, in the middle of this boat, just like every student is. And so it's not, they're not in some vacuum somewhere outside of the, you know, mainstream of everything and don't really have a clue what's happening. So I think students need to sort of breathe and calm down about this virtual shadowing thing and just let things happen the way they can happen yeah. and, uh, and, and then not worry about it too much. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens as a result of all this, but I suspect there's going to be uh, some changes in, in at some institutions and, and maybe not at some others. Yeah. I, I think we're seeing COVID uh, rapidly change our culture yep. and, and acceptance of working virtually, interviewing yeah. virtually, yeah. Uh, doing, doing a lot of things virtually that a lot yeah. for a long time we didn't, uh, we didn't think it could be done. 
because right. we didn't have to have it done. But now that we have to have it done, it's like, oh, it can well, be done. We, yeah. And, well, and a lot of companies surprised. are finding that people are more productive and, um, and they're, they're, I listened, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about, uh, about this and people are connecting on a different level. Cause now when you're in a team meeting, you're not in a sterile boardroom somewhere. You're actually in the person's home with the dog barking in the background, their kid running in. And you realize that everyone is just a person dealing with their own things. And you get, you get so much, uh, uh, so much more of a deeper personal connection, even though it's virtual. Yep. So absolutely. All right. I think that's a wrap for another Ask the Dean. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, Our next Ask the Dean is going to be special because it's going to be live for everyone, even outside of the Mac group. We're going to have a special. uh, Do do you want to talk about Am I Ready Now or No? Um, Sure. For for the 10 or so people watching this live, we're going to announce in the mapped group the opportunity to be part of Am I Ready, which was a special session that Scott and I did on National Pre-Med Day. It's going to be a new YouTube series and podcast, and we're opening it up to mapped members now because the goal is to have you enter all of your information into Mapped, and then you're going to take some screenshots for us and um, and block out some of the sensitive information that you don't want shown. And we will we will show those, show the Mapped uh, kind of entries and stuff, and discuss whether or not you're ready to either apply super late this cycle uh, or apply next cycle. Next year. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. fun series. Cool. We'll, we'll announce that and how to sign up for that uh, shortly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, everyone have a great week. And next time we see you, Mapped will be live. Bye, everyone. Bye. Adios. All right, there you have it. Another great episode of Ask the Dean slash the pre-med years for you today. I'm excited to bring you Mapped. We've been working on this now for almost a year, if not a little bit more, at least the initial discussions of MAPT. MAPT's been in my head for many more years outside of that, but I'm excited for how far we have come and even more excited for how much further we have to go. So go check it out, mapped.com. I'll see you next week here on Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.